Welcome, welcome. This is Luke again from the Align Remotely podcast. I wanted to thank everyone for participating in the launch of the book last week. It was a smashing success. We had lots of comments on LinkedIn and Facebook. People were very excited, uh, a lot of downloads. And uh, yeah, from what I see in terms of the reviews coming back, it looks like people are happy with the content of the book. Today on the podcast, I have a slightly different thing than usual, shaking things up a little. So today it will be a mic flip day. So essentially I will be the one who is being interviewed by my friend Ian Farrar on the Industry Angel podcast. We go into a lot of remote productivity tips with your team, in particular staying positive with your team, designing a schedule that fits everyone, how you can innovate online and lots of other things. So enjoy and see you next week with another show. Welcome to the Industry Angel Podcast. We hear from the best business minds across the globe. Entrepreneurs, social influencers, marketing mavens, and sales rock stars. We've got them all. Here comes your weekly dose of inspiration with your host, Ian Farrah. Hello, welcome back. First live of 2021. And uh, what happened? We went straight into lockdown, which was pretty crazy, wasn't it? Luke, because Luke's been busy during this last year, last year, scrolling away, and he's got a new book out. So he's waiting in the wings, ready to tell us all about that. So if you're here, let me know. As you know, I can throw your comments up on the screen and you can ask Luke anything you'd like. Ask him anything you like and we'll throw it up on the screen for you. So then let me check my bio and get a little bit of a, a little bit of knowledge on Luke because he's been managing or he's participated in remote only knowledge work teams for almost a decade. Most recently he led a program of approximately 30, 30 distributed across 13 time zones and eight different locations. Luke, I'm just gonna have to bring it in. Welcome to the industry angel Luke Shermer. Hey, hey, how are you? <laughs> You've been busy, man. Thirty people, thirteen time zones, eight different locations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it was quite a quite a intense experience. <laughs> to say <the> least. <laughs> intense. Wow. Yeah. So, what? What you you? How did you do it? You weren't. How did? Well, you must have had like lots of tech. What were you using like Slack and all these bits of trendy stuff? Yeah, I've been at it in one form or another for a while. In this particular case, it was a software team. It made it easier that people were used to picking up tech and just using it really quickly. And although even there, like, you know, anytime there's something new, <laughs> you know, people people do get uh to get sensitive about it sometimes initially, but once you realize what's what it can do, especially for the group, then that's great, and then it works. The starting point for the book actually was that, in fact, a lot of the initial conversation around lockdown or COVID really was just this list of 38 different tools you can use, which is completely understandable because that was just so new for everyone. Having been around and, and having been doing this for a while, at that time, I was like, there's this other whole topic of like, how do you actually get things done when everyone's remote? And it's not about the options on Zoom or that kind of thing. It's about how people work together. 
different and how you divide up the work, how you collaborate together. And yeah, so that's how I talked myself into writing a book. <laughs> so <laughs> when you say you write, I mean, everyone, how many books have you wrote, Luke? This is number two. This is number this is two. Number yeah. two. So yeah. when did you decide to write this one? Then was it, you know, back in March when the pandemic really kicked in? Did you say, right, okay, I'm, I'm kind of like, there's not much work or it's quietened off. What could I do with myself? Did you set yourself a target? Right, I'm going to I'm going to get all this knowledge out because you you've been working remote teams for a long time before this, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It it, it actually was a bit later. What, what happened was in March I was work, working from Mexico and then I couldn't get back home from Mexico because <laughs> there was lockdowns and everything uh, across the borders and. Then by the time I got back, it was quarantine. And before the dust settled, it's like uh, July came up. And yeah, but at that point, I was like, all right, I actually think there's a missing conversation here about how do you do things together? And that's where I felt I could just be of the most value for people. It's really interesting to say a missing conversation because where do I go with this one? I don't want to get really hung up on COVID, but because of it, we have gone remote quite a lot. So you're pretty in vogue right now. So all that groundwork you did, all that experience, awesome, because you're ahead of the curve, Luke, right? We've really embraced, I mean, look what we're doing right now. You know, this would have been audio only maybe last year, mm. but we've embraced the social side, the going live side quite a lot. And also my training and delivering and lecturing and everything I do, that's gone online as well which is good because that means I'm not traveling around as much. But what I've also saw is there's companies or educational establishments behind the curve a little bit. And what I mean by that is, so my daughter, Jess, she's 12. We're trying to get Google Classroom working for her right now. And I think the teachers are learning on the hop. I feel like they're a little bit behind on this. So what should have happened maybe or what could have happened differently to to make sure that because this infrastructure is all in place right now <laughs> to be honest it was it's been in place for a long time it's very much kind of the, the human side of innovation here from a change perspective it's just like this massive change that suddenly everyone has to do whether they like it or not and yeah i think with schools like that's actually probably one of the more difficult parts because it's kids, they're basically being forced to work like adults where they get targets and they need to practically listen to a lot like webinars. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and and then the parents end, are obviously pulling the, the hair out because parents have to sort the tech out and they might not be tech savvy and the passwords and the kids are, yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think it just really depended on the school. And from a big picture perspective, what happens with the schools obviously affects what the parents can do and how much they can do. <laughs> I felt that yeah. for a good few months too with a, with a six-year-old. You just get to a point where you, you let the kids do what they need to do and you end up dealing with it somehow, <laughs> basically. But yeah, from a, like a productivity perspective, like it it's very much about this group dynamic. It's the same thing in the classroom, honestly. When I was most recently running this team, I realized at a certain point that actually a lot of my role as the manager was almost like a teacher, actually, where the it was my job to set the environment, get people to feel safe to experiment, to do things, and to have a clear sense of what the goals are. Yeah, and then with them, figure out what makes sense in terms of tracking progress in a way that's meaningful for them, which with a lot of knowledge work, I think isn't always obvious in the same way that the quality of a book doesn't depend on the number of pages in it, right? <laughs> like, you, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. So there's a whole bunch of these like nuanced type of things where 
Yeah, it's just that you needed to take into account. The big one with companies is like, there's a lot of work that's done, which isn't really relevant for clients, right? So you're, you might be busy, but you're not being productive or you're doing things which in terms of productivity members, productivity of individual people on a team, it could be doing work that just isn't particularly valuable, right? So you need to figure out who the best person is to pick up a certain task. And you don't want like your super high-end experienced person to be doing stuff that you could have some recent grad do or hire out on Fiverr or something. Getting that right balance, I think, is quite a big part of it, really. So your book, Luke, it's book, Luke. Your book, it's all about what, like remote how to, is it about how to work remotely as tips is it it's yeah i do have some tips a lot of it is about just the rethinking of certain things when you're organizing work for a group of people okay the benefit of it is that it is going back to first principles that regardless of whether it applies very much to both remote and in-person work so when we do mm. get back to whatever we get back to, uh, whether it's hybrid or remote only, or we're back in the office. Like I think a lot of what I was writing about there, I think is still very much relevant about exactly how do you delegate tasks in a team, like that kind of thing. But yeah, so almost about like leadership, right? There's certain things that were just easy to do because everybody was physically in one place. That shortcut was suddenly just swept away from us, right? So we need to really be clear on exactly what the intended outcomes are for the team and breaking it down when you're in person and, and you've got a physical team in front of you and you can read body language and you can communicate easily you can kind of nip little things in the board and stuff like that but when remotely you know what you're even on an email sometimes context can be taken you know out how do you keep that positivity and camaraderie when it's remote and and effectively stop potentially annoying a member of, of your team Sure, sure. There's a couple of parts to this. The key thing is from a team perspective, making sure that everybody has some kind of really small bits that they're doing and that you see that coming in. A common trap is you set some kind of a goal that's out a few weeks or something, and then basically the person goes away, they operate in a vacuum, and then after that, it's just like, well, <laughs> now what? Whereas it's much better if you have this kind of cadence of every day they're they're doing something that you can see like in the case of in the case of tech you can see people for example checking in code or, or that kind of thing and then i've done this with working with editors with all kinds of knowledge work i think there's different ways you can break it down where it's like a small task and then you build up that confidence with each other so that first of all you you see that the person understands what they need to do and they're actually doing it from a purely a confidence perspective and then the other side is the camaraderie. And I think, yeah, I think there a lot of that really comes into play once you give people autonomy. So I think this is the difficult part, really, <laughs> as a manager in a way that if you give people autonomy and you trust them and, and you let them come to you and help them define their own goals in the context of the team where you're just coordinating, let's say, the goals of 30 different people to make sure it all comes together, that I think helps a lot, actually. And on top of that, yeah, you can do like the drinks <laughs> drinks night in front of zoom or you know that kind of thing you know the usual thing that you would do in the office that, that can work just to touch upon that it sounds like targets and kpis or goals could be set and then literally you, you've got that autonomy where you either get it done or you don't and if you don't at least there's some accountability there because you're not there physically to kind of look over the shoulder and, and make sure they're doing or you know check on them so it's about putting accountability in there that they can actually be measured against? Is that what we're saying? 
Yes, although I think the key thing is that it's accountability to accountability to goals they themselves say they have and how it fits into the team. So it's not like I'm holding you accountable to a you know unrealistic goal that I set because I want to yeah. you know beat you over the head. It's, it's accountability like, well, okay, so we need to get this particular thing done within the next you know two months, and so tell me how you're going to do that. Break it down. How are you going to work with other people? And then how will I know that you're doing stuff? And just having a conversation with each person and then figuring it out. Do you think productivity drops though, Luke? How do you define productivity? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. that's a slippery question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for, for me, I think innovation halts when you're working remotely. This is just the way I, and this is just the way I work because I, I'll stand up and just blurt something out and then have a conversation around it. Whereas when I'm alone or working remote, um, I've only got me and my four walls. And so I, I think, yes, I can get stuff done and I might get stuff done in a productive way. But I'm not stretching myself into innovating, or do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. My other hat is an is an innovation guy, so it is very much in the context of new products where I've seen this done. The big, really big part of it is I'm a huge whiteboard fan, both in person and online. <laughs> I'm smiling away here because we 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 talk about whiteboards every single day. How much? <laughs> yeah. What, what, what did I do before whiteboard? I do not know. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Having whiteboards, especially online ones, that's the key tool, but it's also like a mindset. It's visual, you have really in-depth discussions, you can map things out in a lot of detail, how things are, how you want things to be. And then you can get into a lot of detail. At some point, if you really get into a conversation, you lose sight of everything where you are physically. It's about having a good conversation with the team. And I think it's more about getting these different viewpoints out and stress testing whether or not a particular approach is going to work and brainstorming. And it comes down to facilitation almost, but it very much can be done. It's just as true when you're working with external people. It doesn't need to be just people within your company, even though I think I focus more in the book on that. Whether we're talking about a bunch of freelancers with you or it's people within your team, it's very much the case. The other thing with online whiteboards that's really cool that you don't have with within-person ones is that these are digital copies. So people can, in between meetings, go and expand and add more stickies and move them around and reorganize mm -hmm. them. You keep iterating and digging and even in between the meetings. So there's ways of structuring interactions that you don't really have in person. So yes, there absolutely is a number of things which you lose if you go online. But there are certain things which are better. And Ooh, come uh, on, what are those? <laughs> well, well, like I think, I think being able to really work in line with everyone's, let's say, natural schedule in terms of yeah. when you feel productive, you can organize meetings. I certainly had an availability issue with people all the way from Sri Lanka down to Colombia. <laughs> so, yeah. so we only had about two or three hours a day where we could actually all meet anyway. And then there would be lots of smaller meetings throughout the day. But yeah, like you can set up and design how you work in a way that fits with that more. For example, you don't want to have any meetings over an hour and then you can break things up and spread it out over time. So there's a whole bunch of approaches you can use in terms of making it feel more natural for people and also fitting it into the rest of their lives, basically. More so than when you're in person where you show up at nine, you've got to stay till at least five. And yeah. you know, even if you're sitting there hungover until noon, like 
<laughs> You've got to be there. And here, as long as you are working and delivering on the business outcomes that the business cares about, at the end of the day, it's up to you what you do. And that's the empowering bit. I think. You mean by in terms of what, what hours you work? So you might not be productive nine or five, or you might be sitting hungover. So you're going to start at noon, but you're going to work through till seven or eight o'clock in the evening. Is, is that what you mean? Uh, look, it just, you, you choose yeah. when to work, not being. Yeah, um, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Among other things, some of the best team members that I had, they'd be up till. 4 a.m. and then they'd get up a bit late, but they were in. They were available during those those few hours where people were all all available across the time zones, and it's just it worked for them. Thinking about the white whiteboard, but I've been using Jamboard from Google and I love it. The sticky notes and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. what, what what kind of stuff have you been uh, using? So I think the two main ones that I've used are Miro and Mural. They're mm -hmm. both really good. I know there's a lot of entrance and a lot of innovation in this space and in general with tools, but yeah, a visual part of it is good because you can have this kind of thoughtful discussion like you have on a call or an in-person meeting, but you've got the visual side going on at the same time. So even people that aren't speaking can be like writing things, moving yeah, things around. Yeah, right, okay. I like that. So, so that's one part of it. So you've got like a multimedia aspect. The other thing is with these whiteboard-based meetings is getting a situation where you try to get everybody contributing in parallel. So I think a big issue, you see this again, going back to webinars, right? You've got this one-to-many blast of somebody just talking. When it was new, it was exciting, but at a certain point, it ends up being something you put on the background if, if you even clock in at all. Within meetings, Like I think a lot of people, the way they subjectively feel a meeting is productive is when they got to say things and then that was taken into account. Yeah. If you think numerically about it, like what percent of the meeting was each person actually saying something? And if you've got, let's say, two people talking for 70% of the meeting, then that kind of means that the dynamic there needs some work. And I think whiteboards are a great way to slowly nudge people into the direction of everybody contributing and really getting everybody to pull in. Again, it's, it goes back to facilitation. How do you create that safe space where people feel comfortable saying things and then after you've got too much stuff how do you organize it afterwards to figure out what do you take action on what's most important that's what it comes down to really so um our alfie there alfie joe he raises a good point there what he's saying is there that that zoom's reduced all meetings that used to last over an hour to now take 10 minutes and that makes us more productive and, and i've noticed that even from a client point of view we might want to go and see a client for an hour, an hour and a half, and it might take us 45 minutes to get there and get there and back. So we're really slimming down and we're becoming much more productive and we can do a lot more from here. I think clients have accepted that now because of this, whereas before it might have been, are you, are you too lazy to come and see me or am I not important <laughs> enough to come and see you and see me? But now it's acceptable, which is great because we can get a, a ton more done and we're not on the car for an hour and a half. So do you think that's been more widely accepted now? I think so, yeah. I was notorious for scheduling an hour meeting and finishing it in 10 minutes, and it was something that was really odd <laughs> a couple yeah. of years ago. But yeah. it's just, I got to the point where, okay, well, we discussed what we needed to. Let's go on and do something else. The other side of this is like, there's there's time management, but there's also, again, energy management. Only measuring time spent on things is one layer, but also you, you can spend 10 minutes, but actually feel completely wiped, right? <laughs> Afterwards, yeah. there are multiple things going on here. And it's just about being open about getting the team to be open about where they are and making sure that you create an environment where it works for everyone on your team.
It's interesting what Alfie says about the 10 minutes thing, because I used to go mad with my team. They boot me out for half an hour, an hour. And I used to say, why can we not do this for 20 minutes? Why is 40 minutes not a time to It's always like the hour. And then because you booked the hour, would stretch it the hour and people would be looking, going, all right, okay, we've got 10 more minutes left. What we're going to do is talk about this now. I mean, we've done that. Let's get out. Yeah. So you touched upon a really good point about energy management there, Luke. I've been doing lots of online training, coaching, delivering stuff. And half half a day for me, is, is, is it's enough. Yesterday I did half eight till half three. Mm. And it was a lot. It was a lot. And what I noticed was there were seven people in the room. By the end of it, literally the last two hours, nothing was going in or I had to work much harder to get my point across or to help them through that particular task or exercise. So energy management is tough. Have you, have you got any tips on that? Any thoughts on how long? It kind of depends on the meetings, on exactly what you're doing. There are a whole bunch of rules of thumb that I've come across that I've included in, in the book that like in general, for example, with presentations, anything beyond 10 minutes, you typically lose your audience. And, and I'm we've been going out. 28 now and we've, you know. Yeah. Well, there you go, right? So, I, I mean, it is, it is, it is a little. To be fair, it is a little bit different because it's a conversation. But if it's just one yeah, person okay. talking, like it's, it is difficult. So that's that's kind of one really obvious one in terms of your own, but also more importantly, the audience's attention and energy. Other than that, in terms of energy, it's more of an awareness thing, <laughs> keeping track, thinking of of paying attention to when you do have a lot of energy, when you don't, and and then figuring out why and then talking with others about that too do, do, do you do pattern interrupts do you try to like shake things up like do you do you, do you randomly put garfield on the screen <laughs> and then just get people to think what's going on there and or, or just to break I mean, things up do you put icebreakers in and bits of fun and stuff yeah from a presentation perspective that kind of stuff <laughs> works and music but i think to really get things done, it's more about this collaborative interaction and getting everyone's voice heard and uh, everyone's stickies on the board and making sure that after you do that, that it all is internally consistent. And that tends to keep energy up for, for, for quite long stretches, usually an hour, or hour and a half sometimes you can do. And then beyond that, it's better just to reschedule for a different time when people are refreshed and they come back and they had a night's sleep, they had a shower in the morning with some great ideas from the shower. <laughs> and then it come back with a lot more creativity and a fresh look and, and you can keep going. That's just one of those things where I think the trap that is easy to fall into is that it's only about time and it's not like especially in software right like you can have some idea that suddenly saves you three months of work it's very jumpy uh, in terms of how, how much it can affect things but yeah it's just it's more just a question of, of, of paying attention i think yeah and just in terms of attention there you just mentioned there if people feel like they've contributed and they're included they'll pay more attention it's about giving people a voice and including them yeah, yeah. It's also in your interest, right? You want to achieve what you want and they want to help you do it. it. It works both ways very much. Yeah. Andrew's got a question here. So he's talking about in terms of keeping productive, I don't know, Andrew's all over productivity. He's got every hour scheduled. Do you think that helps staying productive? I think it's a very individual thing. I've tried all kinds of things myself. <laughs> I, I think what what for me, I think has done quite a lot is trying to create these larger blocks of time to do individual work and scheduling like actually scheduling what's important to make sure that it happens that is really good there's this really 
classic uh, essay by a guy named Paul Graham in, in the startup space where he talks about maker schedule versus manager schedule. And the maker, the creative person, like they want big blocks of time just to go and write or yeah. do something. Whereas the manager, they typically feel more productive when they have when they interact with others and they're on top of things. So they're, they're usually in meetings. And I think you, you see this most clearly when you've got somebody who's moving from maker to manager, and then suddenly they've got all these like doubts about whether they're still able to create and that kind of thing. Again, it goes back to, so what does productivity mean for you? It may be that having each hour scheduled to be able to allocate that maker time is really good for you, or you want to have hour by hour breakdowns with specific people, or maybe you feel most productive when you've just got clear out a week on your calendar and go create something. <laughs> so in terms of being productive, I had a, I was training yesterday on an innovation culture and I think an environment is very important for that because just, you know, what Andrew just said there on screen that people work differently. Everyone works differently. People like to have different environments as well. When you touched upon their makers and stuff, I've worked in, in software for a, de a decade. And what I saw was the techie guys must be generalized here. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Sometimes they, they want to be quite insular and hidden and behind a desk. And whereas the commercial guys like ours were bouncing around, were on the phones, were loud. And we like to wander around and have open spaces to innovate and talk. When you're working remotely, Sometimes you've just got your four walls, just like you and I are in right now. Have you got anything in the book in terms of your environment to help with this? Keep yourself motivated and things? Yeah, so I, I think a not obvious element of the environment in, in a remote context is actually the techie stuff. So it's it's exactly what tools you use and that kind of thing. So for example, the difference between Google Docs versus Excel, right? If you've got Google Sheets, you can get everyone on the team to contribute something, you quickly get something done, you're moving ahead. Whereas at least a couple of years ago, I'm, I'm not fully up to exactly where they are now, this ability to collaborate and edit at the same time, I think is super important in terms of an environment for work and getting things done. and then. Yeah, like the actual, like exactly which tools you use and what features they have, unfortunately, are a part of it. They do contribute to how much people can contribute. Uh, so thinking about it, thinking through that is really important. Beyond that, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, stuff like standing desks or ergonomic things so people feel good. There's quite a lot of lists and advice out online which go into that. You, you pulled a, a grenade there because you, you said Google Docs or Excel. And what about Zoom and Teams and stuff like that? Because we've been thrust into some of these platforms and some of them have their own little nuances. And sometimes I pull my hair out with them into breakout rooms and the chats aren't working and stuff. What, what's yeah. your thoughts on that? So again, I think the, the most important filter that I have for this stuff is whether or not people can collaborate. And by, by that, I mean... <clears throat> Can each person follow what they're interested in and contribute and also edit what's going on? And I think that's that's the thing that it's worth really looking for. So actually, I'm not that big of a fan of Zoom <laughs> for that reason, because it, it is very much one way. And I think that's just how people are used to doing things. Like everything is based on a screen share. Whereas if you've got these online whiteboards, for example, it everybody can contribute at the same time and you can do things and you can have a conversation and that kind of thing. But yeah, Teams versus Slack. I think in a, at least in a larger company context, I think it was more about what people are already using and they feel comfortable on. So I think there's that part of it too, because there's mm -hmm. no point in trying to 
force the using of one or the other if everyone is is somewhere else completely because there is there is this online community aspect to a lot of these things too which yeah if it's just tech without the people then it has no value <laughs> so in terms of people that look i mentioned at the top of the conversation you managed like i think it was 30 people across all these different time zones and green screens are not green screens <laughs> what are your thoughts on that they were very in vogue quite quickly weren't they then they went out of vogue yeah, yeah. I, I could never get mine to work very well. But, <laughs> so I was like, uh, not for me. I mean, I've got my posters behind me. <laughs> so, so. Obviously, when you're when you managing all these teams, though, it, it's dead funny, isn't it? Because this last year or so, we've been in each other's bedrooms and lounges. It's very personal. I, I love that kind of raw authenticity piece. We've, we've dropped the armor. And you, I, I've said this a few times on the show. We've had partners coming in with cups of tea we've had kids bursting in through doors and stuff and i love it it really adds stuff have, have you had much experience of that where things just go off like that when you're working remotely oh absolutely absolutely it's funny if you remember the korea correspondent on the bbc there was this viral yeah. video a few years ago where the kids yeah. run in and he's super like stressed out <laughs> <laughs> his nanny tries to drag him away <laughs> yeah exactly and now it's just like well okay <laughs> yeah and yeah very much so my my daughter likes coming in here and when she was home from preschool then she'd be in and wandering around and doing stuff and coloring and whatever and it's just that's part of the context really when we're talking about remotely as well i think sometimes I, i'm i'm a real victim of this where i'll just literally work all day and not get out i won't walk and get fresh air and stuff like that when you're managing teams do you have to build some of that in and really tell them yeah yeah i think so i mean this again go, going back to the the physical side, the energy side, literally paying attention to what you eat <laughs> when you exercise, like that does affect how much attention you can have when you're looking at a screen and somebody's talking. And more often than not, I'd, I'd actually be telling people to go take a break. <laughs> yeah or take a day off. I can hear in their voices or I can just see that there's a lot extra going on. And in fact, they need that time to really be productive, measuring by actually achieving things as opposed to just being around. It's interesting when you mention teams though, because in the physical space, you walk in the door and if, if your head's down and you're not feeling too good, then the team around you will really absorb that and you know, the atmosphere drops. And you, you. So when you're working remotely then, when you click that camera on and you're having that meeting, are you all you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and f firing everybody up? There definitely is an element of, I think it's called emotional contagion okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> from, a, from, a, from a leadership perspective. I think that's regardless of whether you're in person or remote. Uh, at the same time, not everyone is like Tony Robbins style. <laughs> yes. And especially in the tech world, not everybody likes having that kind of a manager too. What I've found that's been helpful is just focusing on making sure everyone feels safe to contribute, say what they want to say. And... I think the potential challenge when you've got especially a mix of introverts and extroverts is you've got extroverts taking over and then drowning out everybody else. When you're remote, you can try and open it up so that the introverts do feel they have the space to also contribute. And I think that's a really important part of getting this right. Mm. Quite a bit of a curveball here come in there. A question from Andrew. What do you think about three-day weekend for employees? I think it really depends on how you've how well you've defined your goals as a company and if if they can do that and still achieve your goals the way that you want then why not right just the other day I was having a conversation with someone that 
they were saying that actually better than a three-day weekend, Wednesday would be a good day to have off, right? So you have right, two okay. days and then Wednesday to kind of do do stuff. And then <laughs> Thursday, Friday, you go back to full-on contributing. And then again, it, it goes back to, especially in innovation, where you know the creative juice is based on, to some extent, how well-rested you are and, and that yeah. kind of thing. I think if, if you go back to high-end sports stars, like the, the people who win the tournaments and that kind of thing, they're the ones who've optimized even rest, like when they rest and exactly how and, and that kind of thing. So it, like to really get top performance overall on a sustained basis or on certain times when you rest is actually super important. It's just, honestly, I don't have pat answers for, for, every, for, for every scenario. I, I think the key thing is that I, I, I want people to pay more attention to it and to how it works for their particular team. And just to point out, it's not an obvious thing. And also applying what we did in person isn't necessarily the right thing for remote. Let's talk about the book then before we wrap things up. So how long did it take you to write the book? About six months. So I started in earnest around around July and yeah, wrapped up roughly in December. <laughs> so. In terms of writing that book, what was your day like? Did you write every day or...? There's just a lot of parts to it. There was a period where I was drafting about a chapter a week, good amount of editing. At a certain point, I started also trying to figure out how to cartoon to, to, to illustrate certain things. So that, that extended it a little bit. I'm happy with it. <laughs> so it, it probably could have been shorter if I just went and did the kind of quick Kindle ebook kind of thing. But yeah, I think I've said what I wanted to say, I think. <laughs> so. okay. so, so you, but it isn't an ebook as well as a hard copy, yeah? Yeah, it's also print, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then also I've got a, I've, I've got a podcast where I'm interviewing people whose work I found helpful when I was managing or whose research I came across that I found was quite interesting during, yeah, this, during this year. Do you want to drop that in? You can just give yourself a little bit of a promotion there, Luke. Why, why not? Yeah, sure. Alignremotely.com. <laughs> so all the details there. Yeah. And the books on Amazon. So that's probably the best place. Good stuff. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. So we are live across Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. If you want to jump in, look, the Facebook page is there, Industry Angel, you'll find it. If anyone wants to ask, look, anything, what was the website again? Alignremotely.com. And are you across any social channels as well? Look, are you prevalent on Twitter or anything or? LinkedIn and Twitter are the two main places, yeah. Fantastic stuff. So I think if anyone has any questions, they can fire you off there, connect with you on LinkedIn and buy the book, hopefully. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, grand grand. <laughs> <laughs> so look, uh, thank you so much for your time this morning and uh, it's been great. I'm going to kick you out and I'm going to say goodbye to the audience. So look, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see you in person, maybe instead of remotely one day. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Excellent. Cheers, Luke. You take care now. And if you're watching on Catch Up, thank you so much. If you found this useful, please share it with your audience and click that little like button as well. That's always good. We love vanity metrics here. So get it shared. And if you subscribe to the YouTube channel as well, you'll get a notification when we're going to go live. And make sure you check out Luke's book. I'm sure it's really relevant for us all now in this remote way of working. So thank you so much for watching. Uh, I'm Ian Farrow. This is the Industry Angel. Thanks for listening. 